Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Deeply impressed, really de- impressed with what you have here in this beautiful valley and by Reb uh, Shmuley and what you're building here in Valley Beit Midrash. It's gorgeous. Um, so, happy end of Tubishvat, happy end of Martin Luther King Day. We have quite a confluence of auspicious, uh, t- uh, 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 auspicious events happening in one day. And uh, earlier today, we talked about Shekhinah, about the divine feminine presence, the indwelling presence. But today, we're going to, tonight, we're going to switch gears entirely. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about myself and my orientation. I was raised in a very orthodox Midwest background and uh, had a brilliantly comprehensive orthodox education taught mostly, transmitted mostly by male rabbis. And uh, I said, as I said earlier today, it was very clear nobody ever second-guessed that God was also a, a male rabbi um, <laughs> up above. Uh, and as beautiful as that education was, in time it grew, it grew narrow, and I had a hunger to see and experience spirituality in other forms. Anyone who's read my uh, memoir with Roots in Heaven knows I left Yiddishkeit, I left Judaism, and went on a, on a big odyssey, and went all around the world and studied all kinds of mysticism and all kinds of spiritual practices. And I was hungry to know what about embodied spirituality, what about meditation, what about reincarnation, what about pluralism, what about universal practices, what about... Uh, all of these different things. Uh, And in time, to make a very long story very short, in time I came back through another door through the, that was held open by Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi, my beloved Rebbe of blessed memory, and the Rebbe of others here, uh, who uh, said, it's all here, it's all here, everything, it's here. Inclusivity, social justice, egalitarian, practice, men and women, joy, it's all here. Meditation, reincarnation, the works. So um, I've been teaching Judaism ever since. I became a rabbi, and as you heard, and I have always had this, the same passion to understand Judaism juxtaposed with different traditions because I believe it draws out the riches and seeing our heritage, our rich heritage through different lenses, and then looking through our lens at different heritages, there's a beautiful cross-germination that can happen. Um, So 
in the summer of 2016, I studied with a Buddhist nun called Pema Chodron. Has anyone heard her or read her beautiful books? She's a wonderful universe. You don't have to be a Buddhist to, to like Pema Chodron. And in this class, Pema was teaching a 14th century text that comes in a little paperback as of now. And it's by uh, this 14th century monk, Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist monk, Tokme Zongpo, who literally lived in a cave for 20 years and wrote these things because he felt that he needed them for his own nature, um, as pure as he was. So I, as I was studying these precepts, I kept remarking to myself, Gewalt, there's so many parallels with our ancient texts of the Perkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers, and Mishnah, and Talmud. Thus, the idea was born. I wanted to juxtapose these ancient precepts with, with our own and see how they're both incredibly relevant. Um, let them dance together. Let them cross-germinate, as I said. Well, that was a couple of months before the events of November 2016. And I was still young and innocent then. <laughs> and you know, I've always been uh, of the mind that humanity is marching forward. We're all in the same project of bringing light and care and love into the world. And, and, and things are getting better and better. And then, and then I was thrown back on my haunches in, very, in a very humble way. And, and I would say that I feel and many of us feel um, that, as a society, we've fallen into some dark patterns now. And uh, as we know, as a Jewish community, there is hate and fractiousness is just burgeoning to the surface uh, more and more. And in, in Martin Luther King's beautiful language, um, the fierce urgency of now has never been so palpable as, as today, the fierce urgency of now. And I'm sure we've said that, and he said that, the same thing, but I really feel now that's true. For many of us here, there's never been so much outward clamor requiring such inner ballast and inner calm. So no matter where, I'm not talking about politics now, I'm just talking about the noise level, the noise to signal ratio. The noise level is here with all the breaking news alerts or whatever, you know, the, just the noise. And to be on the spiritual path right now, no matter what religion, no matter what your practice is, takes a lot more tenacity and um, an inner, uh, inner determination. We need effective spiritual tools more than ever uh, to connect ourselves to something that's larger than us. So um, I would say also that as a rabbi, I've never witnessed so many people, and this is very heartening to me as a spiritual leader, uh, how our mantras and goals for personal progress for me have changed into questions. Like, how can I help? Rabbi, how can I help? I, I feel this call to help now. What can I do? And so that, is, that mantra, the American mantra for me and from the people that I work with has, has started to shift. Um, and people are asking, what does this critical time call me to do now? Whatever that, whatever that is. There's never been such a need for unpretentiousness, 
for humility, for calm, and <laughs> I would say for a not-for-profit orientation. Uh, in Judaism, we have a word for that, and that is uh, l'shma, l'shem shamayim. I want to I act not for my own self. I'm not, I mean, you know, there's plenty in our, in our culture that is uh, about putting myself forward, but there has never, the world has never had a greater need for tzaddikim, for righteous people, for bodhisattvas, and that's, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, tonight. So what is a tzaddik, and who is a bodhisattva? Um, some of you know the answers to this, but I'll go over it just in case. The tzaddik is a man or a woman. In, in Hebrew, we would say a tzaddiket for the feminine. The tzaddik or tzaddiket is a man or a woman who gives their life over to being a channel to a higher power, to, to God, to the divine flow of blessings into the world. Again, not for their sake, but for the larger whole, for the sake of, in the old days, we used to say l'shem shemayim, for the sake of heaven. Now we would say for the sake of the higher good for the sake of the all, for the sake of shechina, the divine presence. Whatever words you use, it's, it's not for your own sake. It's not to aggrandize your own, uh, your own self-interest. The tzaddik has an ongoing, intimate relationship with God uh, or with the divine, and sometimes that's called devekut. Again, not out of self-interest, but serving the needs of the moment, whatever they are, out of love. Now, in classical Judaism, a tzaddik is one who has given themselves over to fulfilling the mitzvot, the 613, um, some of which we can't even aspire to doing anymore because they have to do with things that are, are gone. Now, to Buddhists, it's a little different. Now, how many of you here have ever uh, engaged in Buddhist practice, a sitting practice, or... Okay, good. Okay, so you know that that's a non-theistic practice. There's no... You don't have to believe in any form of God because it's non-theistic. And in that way, there are, there's a, a nice crossover for many Jews. I live, come from Boulder, <laughs> where many Jews are Buddhists, and we call it Boo-Jews. Um, I'm, I'm not joking, actually. So people say I'm a Boo-Jew because I'm Jewish, but I have a Buddhist practice. Uh, and so many Jews, because it's, it, it's calming, it... Uh, alleviates stress, it gives, to, gives a way to mindfulness and more awareness and better health and all those good things. Uh, but there's, there's no God per se, but there is rather an open-hearted awareness, open mind of, at, of the moment at hand. And there are many precepts to living a good life, but a bodhisattva is who? A bodhisattva who is someone who has that level down, they're doing the mitzvot, they're doing their precepts, uh, but they're saying, my wholeness is not enough. I'm not here for me. I commit to coming back because they believe in reincarnation. I commit, I make a commitment to life, to the universe, to come back again and again and again, however long it takes to alleviate the suffering of humanity, to alleviate the suffering of humanity. That might be a long time. But it doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's because I am here to serve the greater whole. That is a bodhisattva. So there's different flavors, but there's a lot of crossover. And uh, the course that I developed out of this book and then out of our ancient practices uh, was fascinating. 
Both traditions get to the same point. It's about loving kindness. It's about compassion. The aim is to help the world and to help, like I said, uh, alleviate the suffering, to raise the sparks of creation, as we Kabbalists would say. Um, and as uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, whose birthday was also just uh, last week, uh, to raise, a, to, to make, to wake the world up to a miraculous order, to raise the world up to the miracle that it is, to awaken uh, radical amazement, radical amazement, just in looking in somebody's face that you love, just looking at the light in someone's eyes, looking at a flower, looking at the sunrise, just being awake to radical amazement. So how do we do this? Um, tonight, what I'd like to do, with your permission, there's two things, and you can tell me, I really, we really want to do this, we really want to do this, or no, we don't like that. <laughs> um, but I'd like to do a little bit of a, a text study with you um, after I finish speaking. And you have that, just a little taste, so that you can see the confluence of these two texts. And then, if you're open to it, we can do a little uh, guided meditation, which is a meditation that is both Buddhist and Jewish, so, which can't hurt, uh, but you'll tell me if we're not into that or not, or we are. I'm coming from the place that we are all sadikim in training. Right? We're all bodhisattvas in training, but we have to train. Like if you're training muscles, you go to the gym. If you're training to be a sadik, you have to practice. Right? And so that means you have to practice a little bit every day to like, do not out of your own appetites and my own self-interest, but do for others. And it's a very humble path, uh, as I've said. Um, in both cases, like we, Reb Shmuley and I were just talking about how it's really hard in the cynical culture to be open-hearted davening, to just pray from an open heart. You can't do that if you're cynical. Um, for the tzaddik and the bodhisattva, deeds are done quietly, without advertisement. We don't post them on Facebook. We don't tweet them. We don't Instagram them. They're between you and something bigger, right? Some of you have heard, tell me if you've heard of the Lamed Vavneks, the 36 pious people. And so this is the, the Lamed Vav Tzaddikim. There's a, there's a beautiful Agadah in Judaism that says, the whole world would disintegrate if it weren't for 36 tzaddikim, 36 pious people, men and women, that nobody knows who they are, who are so pure of heart, they are doing such beautiful things behind the surface, and it's not for money, and it's not for fame, and it's not for publicity, it's for no, for no reason, but it's because it's a choiceless choice. And, and those people don't even know who they are. So it, we might be, it might, some of you might be the Lamed Vavniks, but at all times, there have to be at least 36 pious people said he came, or the world would just disintegrate. Okay? And humble, humble, humble. Um, same thing in the Bodhisattva world. Um, we're resisting the seduction of money and fame and even rewards in the world to come. There was an amazing story about a woman who came to the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism in the latter half of the 1600s. And she was desperate. She could not conceive a child. 
and the Baal Shem, and he was a known avatar, a known healer. He was known to be someone who could had such power, such spiritual power, that when he prayed, the world stood still. Uh, but certain things you shouldn't pray for. He went inside and he meditated, and he saw, because he could read the soul of this woman, he saw that it was not in her destiny to conceive. She was not, it wasn't in her her karma to conceive a child. She wasn't supposed to become a, uh, but, she, but he felt her suffering so much. And in fact, when he went inside, he could see that her body doesn't, didn't even have the apparatus to, 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 to carry a child. Nevertheless, he felt her suffering so much, and he went inside, and he prayed, and he, and he, he did what it took to shift whatever, whatever Sadiqim do to shift the balance of her karma. And he opened his eyes and he said, by next year, this time, you're going to be pregnant. Whoa! There was a huge kerfuffle all through heaven, like, gavalt, gavalt. The angels were all upset, and they're saying, what, 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 what? We don't do that. We don't do that. Because when a hatsadik gozer varanai makayem, so the, the adage goes, when a tzadik does something, decrees something, God has to follow. And Baal Shem Tov had decreed that she would become a mother, and so everything had to, the wiring of heavens had to reshift itself. And they were furious, furious at him. And so there was a bot call that came out and said, for this Baal Shem Tov, your lot in the world to come has been removed. You, you have lost your, your portion in the world to come. And the Baal Shem started snapping his fingers, and a big smile broke out on his face, and he starts dancing around the room and saying, hooray, that's exactly what I want. Finally, I can just serve God out of the love of heaven, and I don't have to worry about reward, and I don't have to worry about the world to come fat on that. Now I can do whatever I want because there's nothing left to lose. And then again, there was this huge kerfuffle in the other world, and, and the angels were so upset, like that didn't mean a thing to him. And and all of a sudden, the bot call, the divine voice, comes out and says, forget that. We see. It doesn't matter to him. He has his world to come. OK, OK, OK. He has whatever he wants. So that is the story of someone who is, uh, is what? So completely nonplussed about reward, just doing it because he feels it in here, or she feels it in here. So um, what else do I want to say about the tzaddik before we dive in? Um, I want to say that our minds go to the holy people that came before us. I know that every one of us knows someone who has awed us because of their ability to sacrifice their own personal needs and, and sometimes put themselves in peril. So who do we think of when we think of people who have completely let it go, even their own safety, even their own health, even their own rewards, their own fame, their own, they've done things that are so counterculture because they knew that it was the right thing. We think of Martin Luther King Jr. And we think of, I think of, I'll name a few, Doctors Without Borders who are out on the front and other doctors who are just putting themselves in harm's way because they know that they have to serve with their tools. Um, I think of Arthur Schindler. I think of uh, the people that hid 
the, the countless non-Jews who hid people in the Holocaust and took in children. Who do you think of when you think of a tzaddik or a bodhisattva? Who do you think of? Who has inspired you? Could be someone from long ago or someone that is doing it today. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. That's right. She gave her whole life for the children in the slums. Say that again. Gandhi. Gandhi. Absolutely. And walking right up and having your head bashed by the, by the British soldiers and knowing that you were doing the right thing. Those are very big um, kind of celebrity status, but we all know people who are taking in immigrant families and immigrant children nowadays or, or who are standing out on the, on the border to say, no, 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 we care about these people. I'm going to work. I'm going to go to Tijuana, and I'm going to go... Um, Help these sick children. Yes. Did you raise your hand over here? Oh, okay. Yeah, please. I think of my uncle, who I've always felt that he was exotic. He was an orthodox, he was a modern orthodox person, but he wasn't exotic because he was religious. He was exotic because he always helped out people. And he once said to me that I'm the only relative he knows that's never asked him for anything. <laughs> and, um, and it's true. Yeah. Because when he passed away at, at 90 years old, about 10, 12 relatives who I heard from who, yeah. who oh my God, Uncle Sam died. You know, Sometimes you only know when somebody dies how many people they're supporting. And then you know uh, Sadiq has passed. That's right. Thank you. Anyone else? Smoke. I think we should put Red Zorman in there. Okay. Sure. You want to tell a story? Any story about him that would give people an idea of who he was? By the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a, a wonderful chronicler of Reb Zalman's life. Reb Zalman, yeah. Yes, I'll tell you something very interesting. It's kind of embarrassing, but I'll, say, I'll tell you anyhow. Um, every year there's a rabbi's gathering in Boulder uh, called Ohala. And a lot of people try to go because it's the only time we get to see our friends. And um, I had Reb Zoman was in the room, and I walked in, and I was going towards him to give him a hug. And he looked at me, and he said, "You're fat." <laughs> he said, "You're fat." I went into such shock. Oh. And disbelieve. Everyone's mouth had just dropped I open. Know, like. I couldn't believe it. You know what? The next year I went back to Ohola and I was 25 pounds lighter. <laughs> and you know what? I was really grateful that he said that to me, just the way he said it to me. That's amazing. Wow. Okay. So good. It's it saying the truth. Yeah. Telling the truth. MS, right? Sometimes it's telling the truth to power. Well, you're a power. <laughs> Um, I think that's a wonderful story. So someone who sees the truth and says the truth. And sometimes it hurts the ego, but oftentimes it generates transformation. Beautiful. Let's take a look at our texts, okay? Um, I didn't tell you too much about uh, Tokme Zongpo, but he was a guy who lost his father at three, his mother at five, 
his grandmother at nine. I mean, he just went through a horrible time. He was put into a, a monastery, and there he rose the ranks, um, and he was made the head abbot of this 14th century um, monastery. And he gave it all up after six years of being the abbot to go into a cave and do his deep work. Now, in, in uh, Buddhism, they call it the bakchak. The bakchak means the stuff that you carry that activates you, that, that keeps in your way of being pure and open-hearted. In our language, in Kabbalese, we might say that these are our klipotes. These are the, the, the shells around us, the, the, the armor that we wear that keeps us kind of tough and in our ego, but it really hides our heart, our open-heartedness. So he went into the cave to work on his bakchak, I love that word, and, um, and to melt down his, his layers of armor, and he came out with these 20 precepts. And we're just going to do a couple of them and look at how they might have to do, what they might have to do with Torah. So attraction to those close to you catches you in its currents. Beautiful. Aversion to those who oppose you burns inside. <laughs> so well-timed. Thank you. Indifference that ignores what needs to be done. I would say numbness. Uh, you might say numbness or a sense of futility. That, ignore, that tells you to ignore what needs to be done is a black hole. Leave your homeland. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. Now, each of these 37 precepts has at the very end, this is the practice of a bodhisattva. This is the way you become a tzaddik or a bodhisattva. So let's just talk about that. What do you notice in that text right off? What would you say about that? There's no wrong answer, so don't hold back. Please, you have a smile on your face. Just say anything. What does that make you think? They're talking about attraction, aversion, and indifference. Those are the three things that are going to trip you up, and you have to leave your homeland. What do you know about that? What does anyone know about that saying? What, what, what's, what's provocative about that to you? What does homeland mean? Good. That's your first question. Yep. What is your homeland? What do you think it means? If you were just to take a guess, it could be where you come from. It's like where you're, what you're used to, where you're comfortable, your comfort zone. Yes, please? Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. Yeah, what, what's unusual about this? This is a quintessential Buddhist text, right? Those of you who have done sitting practice or do know anything about Buddhism knows that we don't, the, the sense of, I have to have this, avarice, or disgust, repulsion, Whenever we feel those things, or just numb, those are the things we want to basically cultivate and stay, like cultivate ourselves through, stay away from those, because why? What happens when I have to have you as a person, as a friend, or I have to have this food, or I can't stand this? What kind of person is that? Unattractive. Sorry, then? Unattractive. Unattractive, good. But what does it feel like on the inside? It's not, it's not, angry. it feels angry. Aggressive, okay. Overshadowed. 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 They, you, as a as as a person, I am overshadowed. I have a shadow over me because I'm always compulsively 
in need of this or pushing things away or drawing them to me. Or uh, I'm not a free person because I'm always, something happens, I love it. Something other happens, I hate it. I'm, I'm at the mercy of the conditions in life, right? I'm not a free person to be tranquil. And in Buddhism, I think, and it also is true in Judaism, we want to be tranquil so that we can feel our God spark, so that we can, f again, let's go back to that noise signal ratio. When there's a lot of noise, where does the signal go? A lot of noise, signal goes down. I can't hear the inner, the inner God voice, the cold mamadaka, that still small voice. So the idea in Judaism is that God is always speaking to us as us, as our conscience, as our dreams, our inner, inner, inner voice. The Shekhinah that we said we're talking about to today is always whispering to us. Check this out. Stay away from that person that might not be where you want to go. But it, it, and so we have to stay relatively calm so that our noise-to-signal ratio is level so that I can hear. The only way I can hear things is if my, the noise level in the world goes down. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if I'm always listening for the next new breaking news, breaking news alert, what's he going to do today? What's he going to do today? You know, like, uh, and, and we all have felt that kind of compulsion to know what's going on in the news, etc. I can't, there's no, my meditation practice goes out the window. My davening practice goes out the window. Has anyone know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, inside. what's that? It burns inside. It burns inside. Good. Aversion to those who oppose you burns inside, right? We, he wrote this for our era, okay? And we must have this catches you in a current. But if I completely, then again, I, I know people who say, oh, I don't care, it's all, it's all Maya, it's all passing, it's okay. That's also, what would, what was, what would Tokme say about that? That's also, that's numbness, I'm emotionally numb. So there's a very narrow ridge to stay alert, but not to be compelled into. Okay, so let's say what I thought immediately when I read this was, and Rabbi uh, Ela Saralea will, will know this one. I don't know how your Hebrew came out on that one. Uh, did it come out? Vayomer Hashem El Avram. Havaya Yudkevavke, the eternal presence, said to Avram, Abram. Remember him, the father of our people? Lech lecha, go forth into lecha, go forth into yourself from your land, me'artzacha, mimoladatacha, from your birthplace and from the house of your ancestors to a land that I will show you. What is, what is the divine voice saying to Abraham here? Famous passage, lech lecha, leave your homeland. Leave your homeland, just like Tokme Zongpo is saying. To be a bodhisattva, you have to leave your homeland. What the heck does that mean? What does it mean? Please. Leave your comfort zone. Leave your conditioning. Leave all the things that you were taught that this is the way life is. Don't go here and don't go there. Stay here and you'll be safe. You'll be comfortable. You'll make a good living. You'll bring up a family just like we did. You, you know, it's like that's the, the transmission we got. So let's take a look at, um, this is a 20th century Hasidic master 
Shalom Noach Berezovsky, also called the Slonimer Rebbe, in the Tivot Shalom. And what did he say? Let's take a look at his commentary and how similar it is to this 14th century monk. Could I have someone from the other end of the room uh, read commentary to get to Lacha? Commentary, would you like to read? Uh, to get to Lacha, to you, the deepest self and purpose, we, like Avram, must cut the three major influences in increasing Okay, good, thank you. So first, Lech Lacha me Artzacha, leave your land, leave your homeland. And what does that mean? A, you can go on. You're doing a great job. Me'artzacha. Good. Social setting and general culture that holds you back from your holiness. What is he talking about there? When would a friend ever hold you back from your holiness? When does that ever happen? Has that ever happened to anyone here where your social environment, your, your coffee club, your friends, your neighborhood, where it just was like you realized you were, you, you're not going to, you're not going to grow too much if you stick with these guys. Yeah, because they, they're judgmental. Okay. Well, you were, uh, uh, maybe you're wanting to take risks in life. Oh. I certainly experienced that. Good. And they, they think that the decisions you're making don't make sense. It's terrible. And they judge too you. Risky. And too risky. Too risky. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. What else might be Me'artzachav, a social culture that's holding you back? I think of Ruth leaving her, um, leaving, leaving behind her old culture. Good. She did a lech lecha. Boy, did she ever, right? She left her homeland literally and figuratively, right? Good. She left all her friends behind. When else is it necessary sometimes to break? The Slanomer Rebbe is saying, sometimes we have to say, I... I need to cut ties with these people. I don't want to go drinking all the time. I don't want to always go to the bar or to the bowling alley. I just like it's, it's holding me back. Or it could be, what else? does anyone else have an example? This brave woman, don't let her be the only one who spoke. Your, Bobby. Your, your journey from St. Louis to the world. Okay, that's right. That's right. Well, I mean, those were all good people, but I knew that I had to explore. I had to, to break out of the confines because I would be married in you know, less than a year. I would be fixed up. I would be having a family. And I knew that I had to do other things in my life before that happened. OK, good. That's, a, that's an example. Anyone else? David. Come on. Oh, Carl is going to jump in, save you. And save you. That's OK. <laughs> Have you ever had that, Carl? All of us have it. It is the journey of heroes. If we uh, do not separate ourselves from the landscape of the familiar, we can only see what we have already been and done. That's right. If you're going to get beyond the limitations of the past, you have to move into a place you don't know anything about. That's right. And we are each the hero of our own journey. That's right. Now, this man, can I just give you a little... Shevach? Okay, I won't. But he's a wonderful doctor who does stuff in, behind the scenes, helping so many people. And I met him, I knew him from Reb Zalman's era long ago, but I met him in Amman, Jordan, and he was wearing a tutu. 
and pink stockings and a flamingo on his head because he was part of the Patch Adams Clowns for Peace and was going into the refugee camps making children laugh. And that made me cry as soon as I saw him because I knew what he was up to. No good. <laughs> so there are all kinds of tzaddikim, they're, and they're everywhere. Let's go on to the next one. Would this lady in the beige, would you like to read one? Or anyone, someone down there. Mimuladatacha. So God is saying, go from your, from your land and now from your place of origin. B. From the traits and habits implanted from your family, those beliefs that would have you stop short of the journey and stay home in your comfort zone and not stretch or venture forth into the unknown. Good. So this is what we're talking about, but give me an example. What's a trait or a habit that your family implanted in you that you know would stop you short of your journey? Now, our parents give us a lot of good stuff, but sometimes they tell us stuff that we have to throw out. Steve? What's that? Good. Well, we don't, we, don't, we don't hubnub with those people. Oh, those people have a low IQ, or these people, we don't do that. Or, or it could be a reverse. It could be that oh, we we're simple people, and we don't, we're not academics. Or we don't, we don't go for big things in life. You know, we, these, these messages and scripts that get implanted in us at, at a very young age. But Steve looks like he knows what I'm talking about. Do you want to give an example? <laughs> well, it goes from comfort to a bit of discomfort by moving out of your, your traits, out of your comfort zone. Good. Sometimes it's, it's, it's important for all of us to move out of that comfort zone in order to... Okay, good. So it might be a comfort zone. It could be as simple as we eat this kind of food. But you know that kind of food actually doesn't connect with your values because you need to be a vegetarian, or you need to be a vegan, or it could be as simple as that, or what? Kosher. Or eating kosher, exactly. Like, um, you know, I, but no, I need to eat kosher, mom. I can't eat this brisket, or I can't eat that trafe. Yeah, very good, yes? Well, we all um, play a role in our families, and that's who we are. Very good. This one, Very good. That's right. And that's, that's really a big reason what you just said so beautifully is when we go home again, we start to feel like we're, we go back into that role. But I know that when I'm not home, I'm a much bigger person, right? But I'm seen as this in this way. Good. Okay, let's do the third one. Would you like to read? This is Mibet Avicha. This, again, this is the slonomer. This is a, a, someone who lived, by the way, in Mea Sha'arim. Do you know what Mea Sha'arim is? It's like the ultra ultra-Orthodox uh, area in Jerusalem, where you go, if you go, if I went dressed like this, I'd get stones thrown at me, um, literally, because I'm in pants, you know, like, uh, it's ultra-ultra-Orthodox, so this is, this guy was the, the Rebbe of the whole Slonimer sect, and he, uh, and he's saying these very gewalt, radical things. Yes, please. Most difficult. Good. Good. The patterns you inherited from your 
Okay, everyone take a big breath. <laughs> right? I mean, and this goes for uh, Rabbi Shmuley and I just had a conversation about the kinds of legacies we get, whether they're health legacies, whether they're uh, ancestral <coughs> patterns. It could be a trauma legacy. You know, my, my mom was a Holocaust survivor, but I didn't really know that until I was 40. But boy, her worldview got given to us in the mother's milk, in her milk, and so, uh, and in her voice, and in her tone, and, and same thing for my father. So sometimes our ancestors, our bubbies and zadies, or our parents have, a, have gone through a trauma, and we receive that trauma in a transmission. And sometimes it's completely nonverbal. And that's why we have to do this big work in our lives to see what did, what went on in her world that I inherited? And why, why do I keep getting so depressed? Or why do I keep getting so sick? Or why do I keep injuring myself? Or why do I keep feeling ashamed of myself when I didn't do anything wrong? Like, so sometimes we have to ask ourselves these very ridiculous and irrational questions. Right? That's irrational. Why, why, should I f why am I feeling ashamed of myself? Usually we just feel ashamed of ourselves and we go through life. But when you ask these big questions, you realize that we're much bigger than ourselves. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much. And now back to the learning. Our lives are much bigger than our lives because we're all interconnected through time and space. Sometimes things that were unworked in my Bubby's life, she got assaulted on the way over to Ellis Island and she passed on all kinds of shame to my mother and I'm, here I am 50 years later, I'm feeling ashamed of my female body. What is going on here? So there's all kinds of legacies that we get. Some of them are very good, we know about those. Hopefully we know about our rich cultural heritage, but we also need to know about what's not being spoken and what's being passed, passed on to us. Okay. Questions, comments? Is everyone breathing? <laughs> okay. Yes, please. Speak think, real loud, though. Okay, I can do that. Good. <laughs> I also think that um, our ancestors who who have gone through such trauma also pass on the enormous resiliency Good. that they live through. And that we spend a lot of time focused on the trauma and forget the inner strength Good. that they had to live through those challenges and Good. continue to live. So I think we Excellent. all have that as well. We wouldn't be here. That's right. I mean, it is a miracle that we are here. Yeah that we are learning, that we're setting up institutions, that there's a Valley Beit Midrash, that there's a Hadassah <laughs> Hospital, that there's free loan societies, that there's federations, JCC. I mean, it's pretty miraculous, right? <laughs> this is an amazingly staunch and solid, loyal people. So the that's what I'm saying. The cultural heritage is so rich and so healthy. We have to do both. There's, there's stuff, and the Slonimer is saying, what are the Pagamim? What are the blemishes that have continued? Pagam means a blemish, right, Rev. Saralea? A pagam. It's a blemish that has passed on through the generations from our parents. What are those blemishes? So he's saying, to do, you have to do lech lecha. You have to get 
out of your comfort zone and leave your homeland behind, of course you're not leaving your heritage behind, but leaving the, 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 the bad stuff. Good. Let's do a little bit more, and then we'll do some, um, we have a little bit more time. Um, would someone down there? Yes, please. I'm, I'm still struggling with the staying in Maya Shireen. So why did he go to India? <clears throat> oh, he didn't go to India. Uh, oh, I mean, no, this, I mean, oh. This, this, this guy. <laughs> yeah, the slonomer. Yeah. So he lived in Maya Shireen. He was the, right. the Hasidic right. no, master I mean, of a whole yeah. huge sect of Hasidism right. in Jerusalem. Right. No, I was just imagining. Oh, you were joking. Well, no, no, I was saying, okay, so he's saying get away from this, get away from this, get away from this, and yet Good. he's living okay. in what would seem to be a very rigid... Okay, excellent question. Excellent question. He had to make a living. That's one answer. What else? What is he? What level is he talking about? Is he talking about geography? He's talking about the deep inner landscape, the interior landscape that needs to get carved out and worked. That we have to keep working to see what did I what did I inherit? What did I inherit? What did I inherit? And give away the junk and own the good stuff. Right? So he's talking about it on an interior uh, intrapsychic level, we say in psychology. I remember a story from Reb Zalman. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so a story from Reb Zalman, this is a, actually a good, this is when he was in uh, Boulder, his father passed away. This was in early 1974, and he was in Boulder, and he was sitting Shiva, and he was driving to a minion uh, in the mountains, and, he's, he, and he says, I caught myself driving like a lunatic. Here I'm going around the mountain passes, and he's, he's sitting Shiva, he's getting to a minion, and he's, and he's, he, all of a sudden, something the noise to signal ratio went like that, and he saw what he was doing. He was like driving with road rage and driving with angry and dangerous. And he pulled the car over, and he said, he had a talk with his father, and he said, Papa, I am, you gave me a lot of good things. I want a lot of good things from you, but I am not going to take your road rage. I am not going to drive like you. I caught myself driving like you, and I'm not going to do it. And that's just an example of, uh, he caught himself, where did I learn to drive like that? Oh, Tati drove like that. My father drove like that. I don't need to drive like that. It's like separating out. I want to inherit this, but I don't want to inherit that. Does that make sense? Yes, please. Not to belabor the point. Please belabor the point. It's OK. But I think what's trying to be asked is, at least to me, once you started talking about this coming from an orthodox perspective, yes, um, this seems very much the opposite of that. To me, it Good. sounds like vegetarians for beef. <laughs> it, 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 it does, because it, it is the opposite of what the definition of orthodoxy really is. Ooh, well, that's interesting. Who agrees with this gentleman? Would you agree with him? Well, I'm struggling with the same question. I think we have stereotypes about orthodox, uh, orthodox teachings. And there are people, well, here we have Reb Shmuley. If you want to speak to this, Reb Shmuley, um, I think you can be a radical thinker. The Slonimer Rebbe was radical. Sometimes he sounds more like a Taoist or a Jungian psychologist than he does a, about a, than a Meya Sha'arim rabbi because he's, so, he's radical. 
he's basically saying, and he says in the Nativot Shalom, I don't know if you know this Sefer, he says, even when you're doing the mitzvot, even when you're doing good deeds, you can be completely have your head in sand. You can have, you can be, even when, you, just because you're doing mitzvot and doing ma'asim tovim doesn't mean that you're conscious, that you're doing this in a conscious way. You, it doesn't, it's like the, not the outer, but the inner that counts. And that's pretty radical. I think that that's very brave of him. Anyone want to comment on that? Yes, please. Well, I, would, I would agree with you that uh, it's a misconception that uh, the Orthodox world can't or doesn't promote transcendent right. experiences and uh, mindful awareness. In fact, from Hasidic philosophy, we get a lot of this idea of yeah. the de deconstructing himself. That's right. These are people who That's right. are halakhically pure. That's right. I mean, the idea of bitul hayesh, the idea of sort of, uh, it, it's, these are really high states. And you, from the outside, I think we have to be careful of our judgments. Yeah, someone might wear a strimal and a kapata and a gartel and all the outward accoutrement uh, and dress in a black hat, but they're still doing some, you know, very, very deep. They're not just, you know, they're doing deep inner work. And the slonomer was gavalt. He was really, really something. Let's, let's see a little bit more. Um, this is, again, uh, Tokme Zongpo speaking. Um, now, and I think that this is really uh, very good for our day when there's a lot of breaking news and a lot of craziness in the political world. Don't engage disturbances and emotional reactions gradually fade away. That should be fade away, not fad away. <laughs> Don't engage disturbances. And if you don't engage disturbances, emotional reactions will gradually fade away. Don't engage distractions, and spiritual practice naturally grows. Keep awareness clear and vivid, and confidence in the way arises. Rely on silence. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. Rely on silence. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. Well, the next page, if you turn it over, you'll see one of my favorite, one of my favorite Mishnah Avot. Shimon, the son of Gam Gamliel, used to say, okay, does someone want to read the Hebrew? Are you kol yamai gadalti ben hachachamim v'lo matzati laguf tov el ha-shtika v'lo ikar el now, talking gets a bad rap here. Um, uh, Reb Saralea, would you like to read Shimon, son of Gamliel? The translation? Uh, Shimon, son of, son of Gamliel, used to say, all my days I grew up among the sages, and I have found nothing better for a person than silence. Study is not the most important thing. Rather, action is. Excessive talk leads to delusion and error. Wow. Oh, yeah. So good, right? I mean, especially in our day and age, right? So this is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years old. This probably is from the year 200, right? So that's, you know, really a lot of centuries ago. And it's like wa fresh water when we hear of that. Would somebody like to... Uh, read the commentary, which is by Rabbi Rami Shapiro. Do you know him? Has Rami been here? Yeah. Shmuley? Yes. Okay, good. So Rabbi Rami is a, all of us, a gavalt, 
translator and commentator. Sandra, would you like to read Rabbi Rami, Silence Trump's Talk? Silence Trump's Talk, for talk is always about the known, and the known is always about the past. Oh, let's just take that in. <laughs> this very deep. Talk is always about the known, and the known is always about the past. Okay, go ahead. Only silence allows you to rest in the present. Mm. Very good. Action Trump's talk, for talk leads to the delusion of action. You imagine you are doing because you are talking about doing. Uh, how, many, how many times does that come up for us where we... <laughs> We're talking about what we want to do, but we don't actually do it. We talk about how we want to help the country or how we want to help the community, or how, but we don't actually get to it. We're too busy talking. Right? Uh -huh. <laughs> Go ahead. It is not the thought that counts, and certainly not the talk about the thought. Practice rooted in silence is the way of the city. Thank you. OK. So the rabbis didn't trust chatter and didn't trust, certainly not idle chatter, but not any kind of chatter and not any kind of talking. Silence was the, the baseline. And you knew uh, even when you were praying, they would pray an hour, they would be silent for an hour before even starting to pray. <coughs> and then they would daven. So this is a good, uh, really good lesson for us. And I think you can see that that Mishnah goes very nicely with what the previous verse number three said. Don't get into it. Don't take the bait, the emotional bait that's being put out there uh, to get hot and heavy and heated because, as we said before, our equilibrium is really necessary so that we can hear the God voice inside and we can stay connected to our, our inner our inner divine spark and uh, our purpose. Okay, um, let's let's pause there and just see if there's any questions. By the way, I love I love fighting. <laughs> I'm just joking. I love uh, like if you don't agree with anything I said, I'd love to hear from you. I want to hear like what do you think about uh, about this and why is this does this have any relevance for today, please. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I'm trying to think of how to uh, verbalize what's inside of me. Um, one of the big things that is really important is for people with different opinions and points of view to talk to each other. Amen. And I have a, a sense like, so underneath it, like somehow <clears throat> we've all agreed like we're appalled at something that's going on in the country and it's this thing is like, oh no, we don't use plastic bags, we're all liberals, or um, what's re really important is if, there's, if there were people here that had different opinions and maybe loved our leaders and thought that something from their background was being expressed, that somehow we'd be open to all of that. That this Good. isn't a club Good. where nothing, is, where it's Good. all sort of implicitly has nothing to do with like yes we need to be like, open honest mm -hmm. about stuff and not good not say like some opinions aren't valid good because they do, because people are have different views people feel very strongly about different things yeah and we need to talk about yeah this in a more open way i think for 
Good, and there's, this is completely apolitical. It has nothing to do with any political, uh, any political station. What it does, I mean, it's, it's, there's no question that the government is shut down now because there is so much fighting. There's so much fractiousness. That is just a fact. Um, so wherever you stand on whatever side of the aisle, we're in trouble. And there's a lot of noise, and this is, this is coming to say the noise and the aversion, the disgust, the compulsion to watch and to be engaged and to badmouth the other side is keeping us from our spiritual practice. It's keeping us ignited to a point where we lose our equilibrium and then we lose that sense of inner voice, that quiet, that still small voice. Does that make sense? That makes sense. The easiest thing is to be outraged and angry and say, I don't like that. What is harder for people, for all of us, is to be, come from a creative Good. Um, uh, that's right. place of how are we going to make, mm -hmm. how do we make something positive or grow something to just say, I don't like it, I'm angry, I'm outraged. That's, that's right. And where do we see that in the text, what this woman is saying? What's your name? Joan. Joan. So Joan is saying something really important. Where did we just, where did we just read about that? Look at the text. Look at the text. Either the, either the Buddhist text or the English text or the, uh, the Mishnah text. Where do we just see exactly what she's saying? Under don't engage disturbances. Okay. Emotional reactions gradually fade away. Good. Good. That's one. Aversion to those who oppose you burns inside. It burns inside, yeah. But also, what about loha midrash el ma'aseh? Like, it, it doesn't count. I think it may be what Rami just said, Rabbi Rami, to just talk about things gets us nowhere. We have to act. We do have to take action. There's a lot to be done to help. In, there's thousands of ways to help right now. So taking action, not just getting caught up in thinking that we're helping because we're talking a lot. Right. Right? 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 Yeah. Do you see that, Joan? Yeah, Carl. I'm interested in your thoughts about whether it's possible in our culture not to be engaged in distractions. That the computer age and communication is now inexorably intertwined. Ubiquitous. We are all mm -hmm. Being distracted. What do you think it's going to do with the pursuit of the spiritual life? Yeah. People's willingness to take the time that you are telling us that we need. And that, I think that that's why I was attracted to giving these particular teachings is because there is such a, a, a collective compulsion, compulsiveness. It's almost an addiction to stay agitated and to stay plugged into Facebook, or did you get the latest tweet? And um, because I have to admit, because I have a book coming out, and the publisher is saying, you have to build a cyber platform. You have to be online. You have to be out there on social media. And so I've started to dabble in it. It's like, whoa, this is, in, in yeshiva terms, it's Beatlesman. You know, it's like, wow, this just, I just picked my head up, and it's three hours later. Mm -hmm. You know, it can just eat. It consumes you. So I, I find, and that's why I said earlier in my talk, that now more than ever, I, I, it's mandatory. It's not just voluntary. It's for me, it's mandatory to, to have 
spiritual practice, whether that's davening or sitting silently or being in nature, if I don't do those things, I get washed to sea. Does anyone feel that? Like, unless I have quiet time, time in silence, time in nature, whatever, my davening practice, I get, I get washed out into the deep waters really fast. And then I get overreactive, and I get agitated, and I'm not a very nice person. <laughs> so, um, yes, please. I, I have a problem in understanding the solitude and the quiet. Uh, I think almost every, uh, I mean, the values, yes, we, we have a lot in common. Everybody wants to do a better people, a better society. But the way uh, somebody grows into that, I don't understand why, and if I'm not mistaken, a, 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 son, a boy or a girl, boys, not girls, maybe, need to take a year off in solitude and not to talk. We do the opposite. It's bar mitzvah, it's tikkun olam, it's go out and do something. Uh -huh. You'll feel better when you... I don't understand how Good. this solitude and being out there in the mountains, that helps the person um, to grow and understand. Yeah. Does anyone want to... What's your name? Maya. Maya, thank you for sharing. You're very brave. What do we see in the text about that that we just read? I mean, I don't see anything about going into the mountains, but the, but the sages said that if you're going to choose between chatting and silence, silence is going to produce more inner equilibrium so that you know what to do, so that you hear what is mine to do. So. Uh -huh. I, I, I cannot relate. Like a that. Buddhist temple, you mean? Or yeah. a, uh -huh. I'm, I'm trying to... Yeah, 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 yeah. With, I mean, I've been in, in, in Japan. And uh -huh. you know, the, uh, the, I, I, it's not your cup of tea, so to speak. I love it. I admire it. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think the, uh, the uh, temples there and uh, everything. And, and as you walk in, the incense, and there is an atmosphere of holiness, but I don't... Well, let's say this, that we are steeped, we're steeped in holy words, and someone from the East, from the, you know, uh, from a, in an Asian Eastern culture might be steeped in uh, meditation. So they know what to do. They know whatever they do. Because, they, because, just because they're taught from the time that they're little children how to meditate. That's not our culture, but it's theirs. Yeah. Uh, no, to sit and in can, silence. You can also yeah. grow evil from that. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Um, I don't see. You have to have guidance. You have to have the book with the value that you read and you understand. And sometimes yeah. you identify well, or not. You, you pick up the. I, I will never give up a prayer book. I, I just don't good. No, you I shouldn't. Relate, I cannot relate to walking into mm -hmm. a temple with complete mm -hmm. silence. And Yes, I need time out, but as a culture, yeah. or the whole thing, yeah, I gotcha. kids going for a year off, isolating from the family, from everything. Uh-huh, or sitting in a cave for, tw for, for 20 years, yeah. Yeah, 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 please. Thank you for sharing. Well, I relate to a lot of what you're saying. It seems to me, well, this is really a question. What's supposed to happen in the silence? Good. I think, I think we're ready for a guided meditation. <laughs> Let's try it. Let's actually try it. And uh, in other words, 
um, I love what you're saying because it's so different. It's really the other side of the moon for us. Yeah. And I mean, the goal is the same. Let's be better people. Let's yeah. Yeah, well, we can't, but we can't even judge. We can't judge because we're we're based on you know we have cultivated we have cultivated a whole culture based on holy words and connection to a divine. They don't go. That's a completely different orientation and paradigm. Uh, but let's try let's try a silent a guided meditation. I'm not going to let you sit in boredom, uh, but let's try something. It's a meditation that comes actually originally from the east. It comes from Burma originally. It's called meta meditation. Some of you may have done it. Uh, but it has been adopted by, you know, Jewish meditation is a very big deal now. And um, in all denominations, uh, people are doing Jewish meditation. But one, this particular meditation has been co-opted in the Jewish circles, and it's called the chesed meditation. So you can say it's a Jewish meditation. You can say it's a Buddhist meditation. It doesn't matter. Um, try it out. If you get bored, just relax, OK? <laughs> We're going, to be, we're going to be doing this for about three minutes. OK? You think you can handle that? Maybe four. Maybe four. <laughs> OK, so what I want you to do is let's just, let's just uh, take a breath. Let's actually take a breath and uh, do it deliberately. And on the top of the breath, I want you to make tension. I want you and squeeze fists and make your face tight, your belly tight, your buttocks tight, and hold one, two, three, and relax. Let go, let go, let go, let go. Now really let go. Feel yourself relax. We're going to do it again. Take a big breath, at the top of which squeeze your whole body, your toes, your jaw, your earlobes. Tighter, 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 tighter. One, two, three, hold it, and relax. And really relax. Really relax. Good. <sighs> okay. So I would like you to close your eyes for just a moment, and I'm going to give you some words, and you can adjust them however you like or even reject them. That's okay, too. Um, and use your own words. But this is a, a very old meditation. And it's about chesed, loving kindness. And we sit quietly, and we just get quiet for just still ourselves for a moment. And I want you to just feel yourself, whatever you're feeling right now. Let it be OK. Physical pain or mental questions or confusion, just whatever is going on for you, just say, OK, this is me. Take a breath, and when you breathe out, just relax, and say these words to yourself. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be filled with loving kindness. And may I be held in loving kindness. May I accept myself just as I am. 
and love myself for who I am. May I experience deep peace in my life. May I experience deep peace in my life. And may my heart know true joy. May my heart know true joy. Above all, may I be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering. So I'm going to read this again. I want you to say it again. You can adjust it. You can, uh, it can cause discomfort. That's okay, but just notice. May I be filled with loving kindness. And may I be held in loving kindness by others. May I accept myself just as I am and love myself for who I am. May I experience deep peace in my life and may my heart know true joy. May I be free from suffering. May I be free from suffering. Now, if you'd like to continue with me, please do. If you want to get off the train and just relax, that's also fine. Keep your eyes closed if you'd like to go on. I'm going to ask you to open the circle a bit wider now and bring to mind someone who you love. Whether that person is alive or not alive, it doesn't even matter in this meditation. Someone who is dear to you, just one person. Whisper their name quietly as if you're calling them to attention to hear this blessing. And then say to them, may you be filled with love and loving kindness. And may you always be held in loving kindness. May you accept yourself just as you are and love yourself for who you are. May you experience deep peace. May your heart know true joy. I bless you to be free from suffering. May you be free from suffering.
We're going to go one more round. If you'd like to get off the train at any point, you can. And uh, just sit there and relax. But if you'd like to keep going one more round, maybe the hardest round, but the most important, one of the most important, they're all important. I want you to bring to mind someone with whom you've had difficulties. Perhaps someone that evokes uh, feelings of anger or disappointment or hurt. Just let someone come to your mind's eye. It could be a sibling. It could be a, a co-worker. It could be someone who misunderstood you. It doesn't matter. Just see who comes. And take a breath and see if, see if this works. It may not be time or it may be time. Whisper their name, if you know it, to yourself. May you be filled with loving kindness. And may you be held in loving kindness. May you accept yourself just as you are and love yourself for who you are. May you experience deep peace. May your heart know true joy. I wish for you that you be free from suffering. May you be free from suffering. Okay, would you take a big breath when you're ready and release that person and come back to your own self, your own self, and wish for yourself the bracha of chesed, to be held in loving kindness, to accept yourself just as you are, and love yourself for who you are. May all of us experience deep peace in our lifetime, and may our hearts really know true joy. May we and all whom we love be free of suffering. Amen. Okay, gently, gently come back into the room. You might want to just rub your hands together and come back fully into your body after that little excursion. Yeah, that's nice. And put them, put your hands on your body somewhere. Bless yourself. Good. So that's a taste of what people do on the inside when they're practicing sitting practice. They don't say it out loud, but someone who knows Buddhist meditation does that sometimes for weeks on end, that very meditation, just over and over again. And, and you can imagine that that meditation just kind of
gets the stuff out of the pipeline because you're confronted with uh, all kinds of things when you, when you do that. Um, who would like to share anything about how that was for you or wasn't for you? Um, anything at all? Was it quieting? It was quieting. The room changed completely. Yeah. Just in terms of calm. Yeah. Sandra. I noticed I felt less emotion in the first one than I did the other two. Okay. So there's some work for me to do there. Less emotion when you when you did your first one. And was that like because you couldn't connect with it or because it's easier to connect with the other per people? I'm not sure. I have to look into that. Okay, good. And then I want to say thank you because um, the third one I used Ghana and so that was a step toward a healing process. Oh, good. Good. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Yes, please. So um, in Buddhist practice, thing that's always been important to me is that in practice you say if the thought comes you say thinking one method you say mm -hmm. thinking yes. and you let it go mm -hmm. so it's not expecting that you're clearing your mind but that the mind is being gradually made more aware and gradually more clear beautiful mm -hmm. but again it may come up whatever it is that's running through the mind mm -hmm. may come up and you say thinking and you let it go. That's right. Sometimes it's expressed that you take a photograph of it and you let it go. Nice. Beautiful. Thinking, I was taught thinking, thinking, planning, planning. You say it twice and it always like names it or I'm planning or I'm, and the idea that this woman is saying, what's your name? Uh, that you don't attach to it, just like we read in the text. You don't go, oh my God, I didn't call that person. Oh my God, I didn't, you know, I'm th it, you just, I'll call her later. Just let it go by and come back to your equilibrium, to your breath usually. Yeah, thank you. Um, did this uh, meditation bring up some things? Yes, please, you haven't spoken tonight. Say that again. Sorry, I can't hear. You. I was going to say that over the years, although I don't meditate religiously, so to speak, <laughs> um, a friend who practices Buddhism and has for many years did teach me something that has always really been valuable to me, which is calming yourself in that moment of crisis. <coughs> and I, I don't know what, that he taught me any of Beautiful. How necessary is that? So necessary. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We all need that envelope, that envelopment of calm. Yeah, someone had their hand over here. Yes? I have a, a comment and a question. Good. May I do both? Please. The comment is, when I spoke earlier, please forgive me if I offended your orthodoxy. 
Yes, no. No. I was coming off of what Doug was speaking about, and I need to say this, yeah. in reference to a, a group of ultra-Orthodox that would throw stones at you yeah. if you walked in dressed that way. Yeah, he wouldn't. And that was where I saw uh, yes. a so I wanted to yes. say that. Yes, that's right. Thank going you. Back, fair enough, fair enough. Going, going back to the topic at hand, in my, in my mind, so I want your opinion, isn't Jewish prayer... Isn't to feel maybe when you're not reading the prayer, but you're standing. Mm -hmm. If you add to that, and forgive me, if you sprinkle that with gratitude and appreciation, and not just the mantra of what we were doing just now, is that not the purpose of Jewish prayer? Beautiful, beautiful. Because I think at least at least here, I think that's practice. Mm -hmm. It is spiritual practice. Uh, and there are many ways, there are many formats. And what I said in the very beginning is sometimes it helps to, you know, I had to leave Yiddishkeit to appreciate Yiddishkeit. Sometimes when we look at what jewels we have through the eyes of another, we see, oh my gosh, am I lucky? I have davening practice. I mean, I, I know that all the time. You know, I, I, because I, see, I have a psychotherapy practice, so I see people who are just desperate to have something, they, to have a spiritual practice. And I, I wish I could teach them to daven, but they're not, you know, it's... So, uh, yes, there, there are many ways to do it. For some people, they're very given to Buddhist practice. Some people are very given, like I am, to, to davening. Uh, and each of us has to find our own way, but we have to find something. Right? So, yes. I guess my question is, when you, because it's very personal. Yeah. When you dive, do you try to find a place like this within your diving? A place like? A, a place like the, we just were. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question. I See, ask you because I try yeah. to do that. Yeah. It doesn't always work, but I try to do that. That's what I try to do, but I actually have, I, I believe in God. This is for people that don't necessarily and that believe in uh, setting ripples of good intention and blessing into the world that really works for them. For me, I have, you know, I was brought up with a very strong connection to Hashem. So for me, the, the Hebrew words do it more. But I put this out because this is what's taking off in a world where it's harder and harder to unless you're brought up with it, to believe in, in God. Because God is, there's a lot of freight around that word. Do you know what I'm talking about? And uh, so this works for people who can't get there. Yes. Uh, this person had their hand up first, and then we'll come back yeah, to you. you. Yes, okay. You just said you were brought up with something. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things we're talking about. Is yeah. Like, you know, is something valid for you, or yeah. is it just because you're brought up with it? It was one of the... No, 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 no. So, so the, but that's what I'm saying, is that we need to do this, what, what the Hasidic masters called birur, where we pull apart what is my positive legacy, what is the timeless positive legacy, the rich cultural heritage that is rich inside my soul, and the, trans, the, the, the transmission that my parents 
gave me, or my bubbies and Zadies gave me, that limit me with fear and, and pushing away the other and dehumanizing these people. And this is, a, you know, like I have to pull apart what's positive, my positive inheritance, and my negative inheritance. And that's part of, don't just accept everything, but like really go through everything. Oh, this I want to, I love this. This is precious. And this is keeping me limited. So that I want to be able to have that choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Yes, last, last comment. I mean, if we think about Mizrahi, has anyone davened with a Mizrahi kihila or, you know, like a Greek or, you know, people who are from Northern Africa, Jews, it's a really different kind of davening with a lot of rhythm, even on Yom Kippur, they just, they're really rolling and rocking and rolling. And, and that might be foreign to me, but that gets them there. Whereas my Ashkenazic, thing, you know, it's like we each have our own place and we have to, but we have to find out Again, to answer your question, is like, is this just making me feel comfortable because it's like a, uh, my club, or is it because it really is speaking to my soul? And um, leaving behind the, the stuff that just keeps us asleep, the things that open us up. Yes? Just one final thing. I remember years ago, Reb Zalman was kind of addressing this issue, and he said in front of a group of people, and he said it with such passion, he said, we really need to become spiritual voyeurs. He said, he said, we have to see how others get it on with God. <laughs> <laughs> voyeurs, not warriors, voyeurs. voyeurs. Peeping Toms, voyeurs. right? <laughs> and he, he, Reb Zalman believed that we get nutrients from the vitamins from other cultures and that make us strong. Make us strong. Thank you very much, Rabbi Smully. This is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetmidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community Indeed, all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.